Imelda Perley grew up completely immersed in the Wollastoquay language on Tobik First Nation. But when day schools opened and nuns came to the community, her mother tongue was banned. We had our tricks. Like one of the tricks my grandmother had was we had pets, and uh, our dog actually understood our language. And so uh, my grandmother would say, um, you know, bark when you see strangers. So when a priest or an Indian agent would come up our sidewalk, the dog would actually bark, and we'd switch from our language to English so that when they came to our door, we'd be pretending we were speaking English. The Wolastikik people have long lived along the Wolastik River Valley, which is now known as the St. John River in New Brunswick and in the state of Maine. Their name means people of the beautiful river. You might have heard of the Wolastikik by a different name. Historically, European settlers referred to them as Maliseet, a Mi'kmaq word that translates to slow speaker. English-only speaker policies have reversed the flow of language in communities around the province. And in the same way, we always feel that the dams disrupted the flow of Wulastuk, where our sustenance was coming from. Today, there are six Wulastuk communities in New Brunswick, including three in the Fredericton area, Kingsclear, Oromukdo, and St. Mary's. And in the 2016 census, around 7,600 people identified as having Wulastukyik ancestry. Pearlie is one of a dwindling number of native speakers. The last census reported the language disappearing at an alarming rate. Statistics Canada found a 57% decline after 15 years in the number of people with Maliseet or Wollastoquay as their mother tongue. Those numbers don't tell the full story. Many of these people no longer speak the language or are no longer fluent. That's the result of English-only policies. Some experts, including Pearlie, estimate only a few dozen fluent native speakers remain. You're listening to Sidebar. A production brought to you by the Brunswickin and CHSR. I'm Alexander Silberman. And I'm Isabella Gier. We're going to take you beyond the headlines once a month. Focusing on issues in Fredericton, New Brunswick. This month's episode is on the fate of indigenous languages. We'll speak with a Wulastukyik elder who is one of a few dozen fluent speakers. But I want my language to be respectfully learned, respectfully carried, respectfully passed on, and respectfully alive. And a Mi'kmaq woman who saw the language slowly disappear growing up. It's a part of my culture, my identity. Welcome back to Sidebar. Over the next two months, we're going to take a look at the fate of the Lestaque and Mi'kmaq languages in New Brunswick. This episode is the first of our two-part series on Indigenous languages. On this show, we'll take a look at the current state of these languages and how we got here. And next month, we'll examine the efforts to preserve and revive them. How did these languages so drastically decline? And what is the significance of losing a language? We're going to start by bringing you back to Imelda Perley. Abalasam 
My traditional name is Moon of the Whirling Wind uh, of Blossom Wiz, and my spirit names are Rainbow Cloud and Grandmother Rain. And I'm a descendant of the people of the river, the original name of the St. John River. I belong to the Fox Clan and married into the Wolf Clan. Curly is the elder in residence at the University of New Brunswick. She teaches language and native studies courses at UMB and St. Thomas University. She's also the founder of the Wollastook Language and Culture Centers at Tobik and St. Mary's First Nations. Can you start by telling me how many fluent speakers there currently are? Not enough. It's not the speaker's fault. As you know, there's been lots of English-only policies have definitely reversed language flow. In the same way, we always feel that the dams disrupted the flow of Wulastuk, where our sustenance was coming from, so has these, these policies of English-only have disrupted the flow of the growth of our languages. So that disruption is felt. And so the number of speakers is very low. On my generation, and I'm 70 this year, in my generation, we're losing speakers left and right. And this year, being the International Year of Indigenous Languages, gives us a chance to lift, you know, the burden of language loss and let the rest of Canada know that there's a Atlantic region that has a language that's really struggling to survive. And so we want to make sure that we encourage future speakers uh, by coming to be those medicine people. So that, and what I mean by medicine people, anybody that's willing to carry our language with us. Is that a challenge, passing on the language to younger generations? Are you kidding? It's such a challenge, and I'll tell you why. Just in our provincial education policies, our children, when they leave their communities, they have to choose between learning their language or French. So if they learn their language, then it limits their job qualities because in a bilingual province like New Brunswick, you have to have French to get the better jobs. And so if they don't take French, then obviously they're not going to be part of the economic realm. And so the choice is, I want a job, but I also want my language. It's almost as if they're being torn apart in how they want to be as an adult. So definitely a challenge. And we don't have support like English and French has lots of support as far as materials and, you know, language courses go because it's legislated. We're not legislate. We don't even have a textbook. You mentioned earlier when you lose a language, you have these burdens, right? Can you explain? I feel like a lot of people don't really understand that aspect of it. Can you explain that a little bit more? Loss of identity. I mean, think about when Champlain came to our territory back in the 1600s. Rather than going to my ancestors and saying, what's the name of your beautiful river? He just named the Fleuve Saint-Jean the Baptist. And then, of course, when the English came, they felt that that's too long of a name for a river. Let's shorten it to St. John. So to this day, it's still St. John. And my ancestors had already named for it beautiful and bountiful. So how do we tell our children that the landscape that their ancestors are from has all been renamed? So that's the burden. So how do we make them proud of their identity if everything's been renamed. How did you learn the language growing up? 
I was born into it. English is uh, my second language. Actually, it's almost my third because I grew up in a home where my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, is from Quebec. And so there was French spoken in our home as well as uh, Wollastigway or Maliseet. And just so everybody knows, Maliseet is a Mi'kmaq word that means the slower speakers. And so it's not necessarily what we called ourselves, but we accepted from our Mi'kmaq brothers and sisters because that's how they refer to us as being slower speakers than their language. But somewhere along the line, the government adopted it and have made it official Maliseet. And we're going, no, we're people of the river. So I grew up totally in the language, and it wasn't until probably when the nuns came, you know, when the day schools were opened in our communities, it wasn't allowed to be spoken then, you know. But we had we had our tricks. Like one of the tricks my grandmother had was we had pets, and uh, our dog actually understood our language. And so uh, my grandmother would say, um, you know, bark when you see strangers. So when a priest or an Indian agent would come up our sidewalk, the dog would actually bark, and we'd switch from our language to English so that when they came to our door, we'd be pretending we were speaking English. Because if we didn't, they actually took things away from us. For example, Indian agents would use uh, wood. So if we were caught using only our language and not English, then the Indian agent could say, you're only getting one cord of wood for the winter. So they would take away, you know, to really really tell us that the only way we were going to survive was to, to accept English as the only language. And so that was a survival skill on our ancestors' part to make sure that we weren't punished as they were for speaking the language. So, um, so I'm very lucky that I grew up in a home of there were many generations of speakers. Can it be kind of isolating to not have a lot of people that speak your mother tongue, your primary language? It's sad. And I can't help but get emotional because I know what elders feel like. Like for many years when I'd go visit my elders, they'd be so happy because we would speak in the language. And they would say, gee, which means I haven't spoken the language since the last time you visited. Because our schools, even in our communities, yes, they teach a language course, but they teach it not in an immersion way. They teach it where you just point at things and name them. So they're objectifying because that's what English does. They objectify. So they're tr treating our language like it's a school subject. So our students don't necessarily leave the language they're learning in the home community. Don't necessarily take it home. They think it's a subject. Protect it, you know. And I know there's new legislation. We have a new Aboriginal Languages Act that uh, the Prime Minister has uh, put into law. And so what we're trying to do is uh, work, uh, work from that. Now, granted, there isn't enough funding to be able to maintain it. Like English and French, they're funded, you know, uh, but we're not. And so how do we jump that hurdle when we don't have the, you know, financial support to keep our language alive? I'd like to go back to the federal liberal government's legislation, which was tabled earlier this week. 
It's faced some criticism. So I'm wondering, do you believe the federal and provincial governments have a role to play in preserving indigenous languages? And if so, what does that look like? Yes, they do, because their languages survived because they took ours away. When I look at my environment, they haven't heard their own language in a long time. So I really believe that Wolastuk is polluted because she didn't hear her language enough. That's why we go back now and do ceremonies. We sing the Wolastuk song, and we try to heal our environment using our language, but we also have to heal our people using our language. I was with health directors yesterday, and uh, and I told them, and I says, the government has a responsibility to give back everything they took in resources, land base, and the pollution that we have because there's, you know, an influx of industry coming to take. So I consider my language to be a resource, and I want that resource back. So they have to, they have to give us back something for the resources they're still using against us. And what does that look like? Financial help, but not only that, but even if, even if there was an acknowledgement by every citizen in New Brunswick and across the country to respect the language of the land that they live on. So I would like to see city halls with Wolasikopen or Wolastigwe which is Wolastik was the first language of this land. Imagine our children saying, what does that word mean? Someone says, oh, that's the other language besides French and English. And it was here first before our languages came. And that's a really good way of stepping into a good relationship, you know, this idea of being treaty people. The word treaty alone means logodwagen, means we're related, but we don't seem to be related because we're legislating two languages to be protected and dismissing the first one of the land. I taught at Fredericton High School, and I was shocked that I couldn't teach my language to non-Indigenous students even though they were sneaking into my class because I wasn't teaching grammar. I was teaching how my language is connected and teaches you how to be one with creation through my language because the biggest difference is in English you will say the sky, the earth, you know, the land. In my language, it's, it's, we're all one. We're, we're related, so we have a responsibility for every breath we take. Every step we take, every, you know, everything that we're in the environment with, because we all want clean air for the next generation. We want clean water. We want all of that. And my language teaches us how to be that way by doing the ceremonies that we do. And so, um, so it's really, um, so it's really important that, uh, um, everybody give as much attention to helping us save our language as we've done in saving English and French. Why wouldn't they allow non-Indigenous students to learn the language in high school? For one thing, they treated my language at the high school, and I was only there for three years because I, did, I, I felt that I was tokenizing the language because how do I teach my Indigenous students to be proud of their language when nobody else is allowed to learn it but English nor French was isolated? Anybody could take it. So I felt insulted by not allowing non-Indigenous people to learn our language because I felt, why not? You know, what if they marry an Indigenous person? The language needs to be promoted. And so I didn't want it to be treated like it was um, a social study project. 
And so uh, I remember how emotional it was for my students when I did leave FHS. But I told them, I'll see you at the university, because at the university, anybody can take the language. And I actually have a lot of non-Indigenous uh, students in all my classes and in my community groups as well. So I'm quite proud of opening the door and not limiting who can learn my language. It's a responsibility. It's a life, life journey and not a course. And I think that's what I need to get people to understand, that it has to be every breath they take. It has to be every day. It can't just be three hours a week. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what happened to one of my, um, um, one of my friends. Um, I was able to convince, when I was at Fredericton High School, I was able to convince him and his group, they were the Nekutkuk drummers and chanters. I thought one best way to start uh, my high school students learning the languages through song. So they were singing songs, and they were making them up. But what I, I invited him to come to class. I wanted him to talk about the songs that he was creating. And I asked him if he would be willing to come and um, re be recorded so I could make, at that time, cassettes. That's how long ago it was. And uh, so we did cassettes with all the songs in our language. And I'm not kidding you. When the students were hearing it, we started practicing it. And there was just just hope and joy and, you know. Uh, but what ended up happening is I invited him to my class here at the university. And I gifted him with the words to his song. And he got emotional. He goes, I thought I'd never see my language. And I, we hugged. And I said, I, from now on, I'm going to make sure everybody sees our language. That's how strong seeing our language. That's why having something in, at City Hall, like the Beaverbrook Heart Gallery. I call it the Heart Gallery because they've got a lot of heart for our culture and our language. I know they're supposed to because they're a museum, but they went, you know, beyond. They have Kulasik open on the building, you know. And, and that's what we need to see for all citizens of New Brunswick to see all the languages that are represented here. Not the, you know, and, and sometimes we're called a heritage language, and sometimes I feel I'm not a heritage language. Those are the newcomers that bring their heritage to the land. This language was already here. Let's, let's bless it. And not only that, we owe it to residential school survivors who were severely punished for thinking in their language and trying to survive in their language, and they weren't allowed. And so I tell my students, I said, I don't really like absenteeism because it insults the, you know, those elders who took so much punishment because they spoke their language. And now you get credit for learning your language. How could you want to miss it? You know, uh, if it doesn't intrigue you, it doesn't interest you, then maybe you should take French, English, Spanish, or something else. But I want my language to be respectfully learned, respectfully carried, respectfully passed on, and respectfully alive. Nancy Harn is a Mi'kmaq woman who saw the language disappearing in her community growing up. My name is Nancy Harn, and I am from Il River Bar First Nation. Why is language important in general? For me, 
the reason I feel like, especially the Mi'kmaq language, why it's important to me is because it's a part of my culture, my identity. And growing up, I know my dad never really spoke the language in the home, but I was there like when he would visit with elders and deliver um, meals on wheels and stuff. And I would hear him talk to the elders in the community and I would just be, you know, just like, it was just a connection that I craved so badly at that point in time. It, it felt like a part of me was missing. How many native speakers are there right now in New Brunswick? And what does the health look like of indigenous languages here? In my community, we'd be lucky if we found a handful that are speakers. Most of the elders who carried the language have passed on. In my community alone, I know the Mi'kmaq language is, um, there's not many speakers left. Yeah. I'm more than happy to speak to my daughter and my grandson and, you know, we use it around the house. But when it comes to putting it out there and trying it with a speaker, I, I feel like I want not to make a mistake. So it's, it's a little tougher. I came up with a, a poem about where are the warriors and it was just a whole idea of, you know, going back to a time where the men were protecting our women and it's just all, you know, I think it came out of watching my daughter grow up and some of the struggles she went through. Something about the way it came out, I just, the language and the meaning together I just wanted to share it, so, yeah. Nin daloizi nastasi akdaloyoi okpigamchik. This is my poem. Dami mad nakkewinuk. Young woman, I worry about you. Ebidei jij sespadel madal. Young woman, you feel and walk as if the whole world and its problems rest upon your shoulders. Ebidei jij ibejidadmin. It is black. Maktaweg ak chibasit giwades guwadal ak at gidamit. And I am afraid. I am saddened by your departure. Jinam jij sespadel madal. And I cry. Majit neot espuguguwik. Young man, I worry about you. One more time, stand tall. Where did you go? Come back. They gather together. In the sky, it appears shiny. The early dawn, just as the light opens, I see you. An intense feeling of affection and care towards another person, and thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this month's episode. We would love to hear your comments and thoughts on the state of New Brunswick's Indigenous languages. To leave a comment by voicemail, give us a call at 506-999-4993. And we might play it on our next episode. For our March show, we'll take a look at efforts to preserve Indigenous languages. Just speak. Just hear. Just use. Just learn. You know, that's the most important thing. This has been a production of the Brunswickin and CHSR. 
Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Alexander Silverman. And I'm Isabella Gier. See you next month.